0: This week on The Startup Life.
1: As far as my firm, you know, what we try to do is really focus on helping clients ahead of time when it comes to regulations and what have you. You know, we want you to be prepared um, for those so that you're not calling us when you have a problem.
0: All right, Startup Nation, so let's take flight with Richard Chappell, the SoCal Internet Lawyer. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. (laughs) Oh, this new crazy mother... Hey Startup Nation! Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the labor yourself, make your own luck, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation, so I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a special guest in the building today. We have Richard Chapo, the SoCal Internet Lawyer. How are you doing, Mr. Chapo?
1: Doing well. How about yourself?
0: I cannot complain. Am I saying that right? Is it Chapo or Chapo? Uh,
1: it's Chapo, easy on the A, hard on the L.
0: Gotcha. All right, Chapo. All right, so are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? Absolutely. righty, right, let's do it. So let me ask you this, man. Tell us your story upon your path of entrepreneurship and uh, tell us a little bit about the SoCalInternetLawyer.com.
1: Sure Uh, well I'm in the legal field so uh, when I was rather young, got into uh, law school because I had this grand vision that I was going to practice international law, not because I had much interest in international law, but I wanted to travel. <laughs> and so, so that was my, my grand theory. And of course, the internet came along and that kind of killed that because you don't really need to travel that much anymore, sure. um, particularly in the legal field. Uh, so I ended up launching my own firm in uh, 2000 and have been working with entrepreneurs since then uh, in the internet law field, covering a bunch of. a variety of different topics that people run into when running a business online. And I've launched a couple of my own internet businesses, of course. Uh, One was an SEO programming company. And then I have one currently, which is a DMCA agent service, which is uh, if you comply with the DMCA, you have to designate an agent with the copyright office. A lot of people don't like to designate themselves because they have to list their home address. Uh, So we provide an agent service for that. So it's a little mix of everything. Gotcha.
0: And we're actually going to dive into uh, that DMCA agency a little bit as well later on in the show, but I appreciate you uh, sharing that for sure. Well, let me ask you this, man. Uh, you know, who or what inspires you as an entrepreneur and why?
1: Um, you know, it's easy to come up with one person. Um, you know, Pat Flynn, obviously, who's somebody right. that I do some work for full disclosure. Um, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of people online. I think that, you know, the thing that inspires me, um, will give you a kind of a, a roundabout answer. Um, Ever since I've been practicing, I'm approached by people who are thinking about starting online businesses. And a lot of times they'll say to me, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think this will work? And a lot of times I've thought, "Mm, this isn't a great idea. And then that person subsequently becomes successful. Uh, And in other situations i thought, oh, this is a great idea and it goes nowhere. Now there are a lot of factors that go into that. Uh, but, But I think the thing that inspires me is watching people, you know, get an idea and they get their teeth into it. And, and then ultimately becoming successful at that. And I'm talking about ideas that I would never, ever think that you could make a living off of, you know, uh, gardening things, you know, whatever it may be. Right, uh, right. But people, people get passionate, and on the internet, you know, you have a fairly, um, a fairly fair form to compete. You know, you can compete with large companies, and in some ways, if you're just starting out, and you're being an entrepreneur, you have an advantage because you're much more flexible. You know if you go to battle with a large company well it takes them a long time to pivot well I, I just think that those seeing those stories uh and they're you know across all different niches you know it's very inspiring it's it's, it's fascinating to watch uh, you know people take an idea and run with it and become you know very successful with it it's funny you mention that
0: when you talk about you know small businesses versus large businesses one thing i always share with startup nation is that like you know when you talk about that pivot Uh, model, if you will, is like, it's almost like a really big ship versus a small ship, a small ship, you can turn fairly easy, but like those big like barges or like ocean liners, they take a large, a long period of time to kind of turn. So when you're talking about pivoting, that's what I, I always think about for sure.
1: I think it's absolutely true because it's also true that uh, people respond quicker. So for, sure. uh, for, for instance, we had a Supreme Court decision recently, you know, that uh, basically it's uh, called Wayfair and it allows states to go ahead and collect internet sales tax from out-of-state retailers. I realize it's probably a very boring subject, um, mm-hmm. but I can guarantee you there are some people sitting in their garage right now that are writing programs, you know, that will help people uh, collect and remit those sales tax. Whereas you would think a large company like Amazon, who practically already does it anyways uh you know it quickly kick out that business and i bet you anything those little uh entrepreneurs you know end up not only getting their product out quicker but it's probably more responsive to what you know people actually need
0: no i'm actually glad you mentioned that because we were going to dive into that a little bit later but let's go ahead since you mentioned it up that wayfair thing because you know i I know a lot of times you know and, and more so the digital items a lot of people think that they're not taxed or not taxable or whatever the case may be. Where do you think people get that common belief that digital items aren't taxable online?
1: Um, Probably because sales tax originally started as uh, a tax that was devoted more towards physical products. Basically, the differentiation, and all this started, of course, before the Internet and really before computers appeared. Uh, The differentiation was really between physical products and services. So in a lot of states, services would have no sales tax, uh, but product sales always would. And then as things progressed, you know, what you see with the internet, a lot of times is whether it's law or tax or something else, there needs to be an adjustment and it never happens or it takes a long time before it happens. Um, so a lot of people assume digital goods because they're not physical. Um, you know, there is no sales tax on it. And at least at this point, you know, I think 25 different States, uh, now do tax those sales and guarantee that's, probably a number that's going to grow. <laughs> so, sure. um, so it's, you know, that'll be a myth that probably dies pretty soon. For sure. And startup nation, you can catch information like
0: that and more on Richard's blog, uh, on the SoCalInternetLawyer.com. He has an excellent blog that has a lot of great content in there. So you can check that out, uh, more. Uh, and we have the, the link there in the show notes for you for easy access. Now, Richard, one thing you did mention uh, was that you worked with Pat Flynn. And when you talked about like, you know, being an admirer of people who go after a passion and just kind of like really run with the Pat Flynn is one of those people that I really think about, especially in the podcasting world. Right. And so I guess, you know, if you would, obviously you can't disclose all the information, but tell us a little bit about um, what's it like working with Pat Flynn And also, I noticed that, like you know, when he talks about, you know, when he gave you a testimonial, he talks about like, you know, he get you you give peace of mind and stuff like that. I think what you offer your clients is not necessarily a service, but it's that peace of mind. So I guess first thing, talk about how's it working with Pat Flynn, and then uh, secondly. Talk about why offering your clients peace of mind is so important.
1: Yeah, I've worked with Pat for a while. Um, you know, we have a, a, this thing called the attorney-client privilege, so I can't really say sure. too much. For sure, um, But obviously, you know, he's a, he's a force out there and uh, has done well. I think the unique thing about Pat is, you know, and we kind of go back to the idea of, you know, what's great about the internet is, you know, he uh, obviously you know, went through a situation that's well-publicized where he lost his job as an architect mm-hmm. and uh, turned around and, you know, took this idea and launched with it. And I think the unique thing about him is. He just gives so much free information. Um, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm 50 or older, and so, you know, I grew up in the brick and mortar uh, world. And the funny thing about the web, and with Pat and with other people as well. Is you know people share so much information that that's really valuable. Here's you know actionable steps you can take, um, and here's things I've done that worked, things that I did that didn't work. You know this kind of information. Well, in the past, companies would never release that information, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and in fact, if I left a company and tried to share that information, they would sue me for trade secrets and everything else. Right. Um, but I think the real real value in what he's doing, uh, amongst other things, is you know just giving out. Actual actionable, you know, steps about about things uh, that he's done, and particularly also talking about you know situations where maybe he had an idea and it didn't work out and well, why you know and what the lessons were. Um, you know, at the internet there's always that situation where you know the joke about you go on Facebook and you look at all of your friends and you know all their lives are absolutely wonderful while yours maybe isn't and uh, you know <laughs> you're trying to figure out what's going on. For sure. uh, so it's nice to see people that you know talk about both sides of, of uh, you know that process. As far as my firm, you know, what we try to do is really focus on um, helping clients ahead of time uh, when it comes to regulations or what, what have you. You know, we want you to be prepared um, for those so that, you know, you're not calling us when you have a problem. Uh, instead, we try to prevent the problem up ahead. So, for instance, uh, you yeah, know, the GDPR, which came out in Europe, the big privacy regulation um, you know, so we worked, tried to work with all of our clients and get them, you know, up to speed with that before it was enacted, so that when it was, um, even if a problem arose, you know, we had a good fit basis for arguing, you know, that we were trying to comply, which would minimize. Um, you know any penalties or anything of that sort um, and so that's kind of the idea it's, you know you can never eliminate anything uh, everything um, anybody can go file a lawsuit you know if they can pay the $200 uh, filing fee and um, you yeah, know so that's unfortunately just the nature of society but if we can put together you know a plan and try and address potential risks as much as possible ahead of time uh, you know you can greatly limit uh, the chances of being sued.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Startup Nation Richard just said something that I, I, I hope you caught. And so when he talks about like, you know, not only just servicing clients, but he also talks about how he stays, you know, vigilant on different laws and laws that get passed. So that way he's able to kind of be proactive in servicing his clients. I think when we're in our company, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget just about servicing the clients, but sometimes we have to remember that if we start to pay attention to the industry as a whole, then we can kind of get ahead and meet clients' needs before they even need them. So, Richard, I appreciate you sharing that for sure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, So let me ask you this, man. So you've done a lot of traveling in your time on planet Earth. So you've been to like Russia and Europe and Central America, man. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh, You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in uh, the horrible, uh, terrible environment of San Diego. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So during the summer, uh, our family would actually rent out our house. Okay. Uh, there's a race, a horse racing track here, so you'd rent it out uh, for weekly vacations. You can make a lot of, a lot of money, but of course you need somewhere to live. So we spent the summers traveling around the world, and so I got the bug, and uh, you know that led me to, uh, as an adult, whenever you know, I had sufficient funds and time and some way to get out of work, um, you have to go traveling, and, and sometimes it was short, you know, a month or two, but uh, other times you know maybe up to a year. Uh, to go visit places and you know once you get that bug you start looking kind of off the beaten path that's how one of the reasons i ended up in russia um but also you know asia and uh, laos and thailand and those kinds of places and I, I just think it's fascinating to to go see how you know other people live how similar society is you which know, where you are and then also the unique little differences
0: let me ask you this man you know and if this is something you know it may be embarrassing about you don't have to ask we just move on so I saw that <laughs> it, uh, you practice uh, law in the porn industry. And so uh, how did that shape your uh, future as an internet lawyer?
1: Um, well, when I came back from Russia in 2000, uh, the company uh, that my uh, associate, a friend of mine had become CEO of that got me involved in the internet was uh, an adult company. It wasn't a company that made films, it was uh, a portal okay for, webmas- for webmasters where they can learn things and, and you know get questions answered that kind of a thing <laughs> right. um, and so that was my introduction to it and obviously there are a lot of copyright uh, issues in that field and things of that sort absolutely um, but the other thing that was interesting about that field and a lot of people don't realize is a lot of technology is developed there absolutely. Um, b- yeah because they need to uh, you have to remember this was you know right around dial-up time uh, and the big question was how do you get video of anything from you know a host out to the house uh or out to the person's you know person's residence because the last hundred feet as it's often referred to can be really difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. um there can be pipes that run down the street where you can move a lot of data but trying to get that from you know the street actually to a house becomes an issue so there were actually a lot of mainstream companies that were investing massive amounts of money uh, into the adult, uh, business, uh, because they were already dealing with those issues and already developing tech. Um, but it was interesting to see how, you know, how that all played out. The companies themselves, the adult companies that were making content, um, were much different than I thought. There were a lot of women that owned them. uh, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It was very surprising to me. Uh, and then, you know, it sounds racy and everything else, frankly, it never was. I, Never saw a video shot or anything like that. <laughs> Just, you know, it was mostly people sitting around in a room, you know, with CDs of, of videos and that kind of sure. thing. Um, so yeah, all the exotic and you know odd things you would think you would see that never really happened. Um, but it was interesting to see so many people. It was also an area where uh, you know, and remember this two thousand. But you know, you really learned the value of traffic and. Um, you know, there were super affiliates in that field, people who controlled a lot of traffic. And, you know, traffic is king. Yeah, it was fascinating to see, you know, people come up hand in, uh, hand, in hand with, you know, blank checks and whatever to get that traffic and what they would pay for that. Uh, and so it was fascinating. The other thing that was fascinating was the money movement. One sure. of the things that was interesting was a lot of the money that was uh, being processed because it was adult, it was considered high risk in the credit field. Uh, and the chargeback fees were, you know, phenomenally high. And it was hard to find banks that would process those transactions. So one of the interesting things uh, was a lot of the transactions ended up going through banks in the Mideast.
0: Oh wow! Okay.
1: Yeah, which awesome. you would never, never really think—Israel uh, and other places—and so uh, yeah, the whole the whole industry was just—it you know, was wild to watch. Um, but it was interesting, you know, to see them develop and see them really push a lot of. Uh, the tech that now is used by, you know, basic sites online, YouTube or whatever. You
0: no, know, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, they're like innovative in tech, because I, I remember recently uh, reading an article to where it was actually the video game industry and the adult film industry, which is why we use Blu-ray as a whole. Because I think at the, at the time, it was a HD DVD and it was Blu-ray and people were trying to decide which one was best. But when the adult film industry and the video game industry went with Blu-ray, that made everybody else kind of follow suit. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad you pointed that out. Uh, that was actually pretty fascinating.
1: No, no yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and, and the strange thing is there are a lot of technological advancements and choices between uh, platforms that are made on that kind of a basis, not, not just necessarily that's adult, but for sure, uh, you know sports, uh, things of that sort. You know how do you move? Uh, sports broadcasts you know the sporting licensing industry is very bizarre Um, it's kind of its own beast and so you end up with things like um, the NFL where they show you know they'll have a package where they only show games that have already been completed Mm -hmm. uh, versus you know Major League Baseball who's really kind of gone nuts with the internet absolutely Um, you know and they're they're all over it and then they in fact are licensing out their structure to other sports leagues uh, and it's just this massive licensing uh, issues that you see that most people don't think about. Um, but sometimes when you're you know, on your TV and you're trying to wonder why the channels are so weird and why the, the choices are so odd, that's kind of the reason why.
0: Gotcha. So l- let me ask you this, man. You know, you, you talk about the crap your pants uh, copyright infringement letter that people get from time to time. So let's say you get one um, and, and you're like, oh, my goodness, what do I do next? What are my next steps? Or, you know, first, how can I avoid one? And let's say I don't listen. And let's say if I get one, what are my next steps?
1: Right. So we're talking about copyright infringement. Um, sure. Copyright infringement is a uh, kind of an antiquated area of law. So you have to remember, okay. pre, if you think about pre-internet, um, the idea of actually copying something, reproducing it and selling it um, was an expensive affair. I mean, you wouldn't go out and take a Stephen King paper novel. Uh, you know, pull out each page, each page copy them, and then, you know, publish uh, new books comprised of all those copies. I mean, it would just be too labor intensive. Right. But obviously the beauty of the internet is you can just right click, save, and you know, republish somewhere else. Uh, and so the question becomes, well, you know, people are so comfortable doing that, particularly and it's not, it's not because there's some devious uh, conduct. I mean, there can be in some cases, but sure. a lot of it is we, we live in a sharing economy now online. Absolutely. You know, people want you to share their their content usually. So it's, sometimes it's hard to understand, you know, what is copyright infringement and what is not. Basically, you need permission to use almost anything that you see online unless you have what's called a fair use defense, which we talk about a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but any kind of graphic, text, image, video, um, you know, you need some permission there. So whenever you're, you're going to use something, you need to just ask yourself, you know, do I have permission to use this? Uh, and if it's so, for instance, if it's a YouTube video, well, if you can use the share button, that person who posted the video has given you a license to use it. You may not realize it, but that's part of the YouTube terms. Gotcha. Um, but if you go to another site or a random site and you see something that you think is interesting and you just copy it, um, well, in that situation, you may not have uh, authority. So it's important to, to understand that. If you're creating your own product, if you're an entrepreneur, you have your own site, whatever it may be, you know, I'd really encourage you just create your own content. Um, Absolutely. You know, with smartphones these days and with the programs that are out there for editing and what have you, it isn't that hard. And if you create your own content, there are two benefits. One, you're never going to have an infringement problem. And two, it's going to give you more credibility because people know what stock images are and they know what shared content is. Um, but if they see something that's original that you've created that's nowhere else online, you know, that's going to benefit you.
0: Got you. Uh, two follow-up questions, actually, Richard, if I may. The first is, and you brought it up, the fair. I think the Fair Use Act. I believe you brought it up. You know, when does that apply? And then also, if you know, you mentioned about, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur and you know, we have the power to create our own content, which is very important to automation. You really do uh, remember that. But you know, when we create our own content, you know, are we automatically protected, or should we get more protections to that content that's you know that we created? Uh,
1: well, why don't we start with the content because that'll lead into the fair use question. Okay. Um, so if you create content, so you take an image, you shoot a video, you write a blog post, whatever it may be, um, you in the United States, at least you are given um, what it, I'll refer to as common law copyright. is that it, 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 It's yours. You're automatically given that right. However, you can't enforce it. And to enforce it, you have to actually register it with the uh, United States Copyright Office. It's only 35, 35 bucks or 55 bucks, depending on what you're doing. So it's cheap. It's easy to do. It's not a big deal. Um, but one of the things to understand that's really important is um, if you register that within the first 90 days of putting it out, um, you can get what are called statutory damages if somebody infringes on your copyright. And so what that means is um, let's take a blog post and say you know, I have a site that has, I don't know, 500 posts. It's been up for three or four years, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, and we have an image on one of those blog posts from six months ago. It turns out that image is infringing. Uh, well, what are the damages associated with that? You know, what is the damage to the copyright owner? What should they get um, for that? Well, if you've registered that copyright within the first ninety days, a judge can then, or a jury, depending on the situation, can assign damages between two hundred dollars for the infringement up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars.
0: Wow!
1: Right, and that range is based kind of on your conduct. Um, You know, what happened, you know, once it was raised, uh, you know, were you doing it intentionally and maliciously, all these different things. Um, But if you don't register within that first 90 days, then you more or less have to prove actual damages. Uh, Okay. There there are different approaches, but you know, if we have a blog that's 500 pages and this is one page from six months ago and it's one image on that one page and you can buy a stock image, you know, from uh, one of the stock image sites for two bucks, well, what's your damage? um, you know, you're going to have a, <laughs> a lot harder time proving it's a significant figure. And at that point, you know, the problem from a legal perspective is, you know, if you have to pay an attorney 50 grand to go hunt it down, uh, you know, to, get, to pursue the case, well, you know, your return on investment's not going to be great. And that's probably not going to be a, a direction you want to go. Um, so that's the kind of the big issue with that. Now uh, the fair use defense is just a defense, um, to copyright infringement. That's, you know, a lot of people like to get into the technical, technical aspects of it. I like to think of it as societal choices. Okay. There are certain certain elements uh, of society that we're going to encourage and we're always going to protect. So, for instance, parody. Uh, as a society, at some point, we decided, you know, making fun of things is something that should always be allowed. Right. So whether, you know, <laughs> right whether it's a video, whatever. <laughs> right. uh, <you> know, <laughs> you see these different things and that has right. a value. So that, that's always going to be a fair use defense. Uh, and then we look at things like criticism. So on YouTube, um, let's take easy example, movies. You'll see people do movie reviews and they'll have, uh, maybe they do the review over the trailer or they cut a piece of the trailer or whatever. Well, that's a form of criticism. And we always want to, we always want that in society. We want people to have the ability to criticize. And criticism doesn't mean necessarily negative. It can be positive as well. Or
0: just necessarily just give commentary, right?
1: right you know and here's what i think of this and that and the other because that's good for society we want that kind of information exchange for sure so if you think about it in the big picture like that it, it can help you understand um, as far as the technical questions there are really four questions that a, a court's going to look at one is the purpose and character of your use so are you copying the content verbatim um, or are you, have you changed it in some way or are you copying only a small amount Uh, The nature of the copyrighted work. So is it something that's completely original? So let's say the first Harry Potter book would probably be pretty original. It's going to have a lot of heft and value to it. Um, versus something like an entry on the CIA website where they just list a bunch of timeline facts. Well, that's not going to have much weight because those are just facts, and you can't copyright facts because facts are universal. For sure. Nobody owns a fact. Uh, Three, the amount uh, and substantiality of the portion taken. So again, are you taking a small amount or are you copying the whole thing? Uh, And then four, the effect uh, on the potential market for the copyright owner. So you're going to hurt people's sales. And uh, of course, then get into a situation where they weigh all these four uh, and (laughs) you get get results. that sometimes are a little head scratching. Um, But the bigger point is that, excuse me, in a lot of these situations it's not entirely clear. So you end up with cases like the dancing baby case, uh, which, you know, it's a YouTube video of a woman and uh, she has her baby and the baby's dancing. And there's a 22nd clip of a Prince song, the music publisher sued. And this case went on for 10 years. Wow. Uh, you know, arguing about, you know, is it fair use, is it not? Is it infringement, is it not? Okay, we have an answer. Who owes attorney fees to who? And, it, you know, and it literally, it, it was just a boondoggle. I mean, it, it was, yeah, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of court resources, uh, you know, and the music industry is kind of a little out of control at times. Um, but it gives you a kind of an idea of fair use. The thing to understand about fair use is fair use is really almost always determined at trial. So if you think you have a fair use defense, that's great. Uh, but just keep in mind that you may have to actually, you know, put it forth at trial and that's going to cost you money.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And so that kind of brings me to my my, my next question, because right now we have a very popular uh, game uh, across many so, uh, platforms called Fortnite, right? And in that game, uh, there's a lot of different dances that a lot of the players can use, right? And some of these dances are, are very uh, po- popular in, in, in pop culture. Forgive the redundancy. Uh, they're very popular in pop culture, and so some of the creators of those dances are saying, "Hey, that's my dance." And Fortnite, you may not know this, not has like made like billions of dollars already. It's a free game, but they make a lot of their money from like uh, downloadable content or like extra content or whatever the case may be. What could those people like the 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 uh, the rapper, or even uh, Alfonso Ribeiro from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, he's actually trying to uh, have some legal action take place as well. What could they have done beforehand before Fortnite came and kind of like you know, appropriated the dance, if you will?
1: Um, you know, I don't. I don't video games per se. Well, I tried once and I got destroyed by a six-year-old. So Um,
0: (laughs) it's just that when we talk, when we told people that we were going to come on the show, we still told startup nation that you were going to come to show. This is one of those questions they wanted us to ask. So that's kind of why I put it out there for sure
1: okay um well a couple of issues come to mind the obvious would be copyright uh most people think copyright applies to you know only something like a book but it can it can apply to a performance for sure uh, and so if you have if you think about uh a band you know playing a live version of you know one of their songs well that's a copyrightable performance uh, and so in that case you know whether it's uh, a rapper or somebody from you know a tv show they could certainly try to assert that the question I would have is did they ever originally register that copyright and I would tend to think they probably didn't because that's a rather esoteric um, subject right the other, the other thing that they could potentially go after is you could almost argue a right of publicity or you know the misuse of their likeness uh, wow. it would depend how close I mean it would be new law see this is one of the things that's interesting about practicing internet law sure. In traditional law most of the, the key things are, are really settled for Uh, sure there's been hundreds of years of decisions well the internet's only been around for you know as a commercial medium for maybe 20 years and the legal system moves really slow so you get these questions where it's like hmm you know that's an interesting question Uh, and so I would think that they would probably definitely pursue it because if the game is making a lot of money and they're incorporating you know their conduct and that conduct is popular and potentially popularizing the game, then certainly, you know, that claim is going to be something that they're going to look at. But I would think those two things would probably be um, the issue. Are either of those going to be easily proved? Ooh, that's probably not. Um, (laughs) but, But it is going to be an interesting case, and I could definitely see, you know, lawsuits filed. I don't know if either of those groups have actually filed lawsuits yet, but I could see that, yeah, they probably would at some point.
0: For sure, and uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask because I wanted to get your take, you know, because I've heard, you know, I've heard the answer you gave, and then I've also heard people say, well, uh, under intellectual law, uh, and forgive me if I if I mess any of this up, please don't don't shun me. I'm not a lawyer, but I've heard I've read that like under international intellectual law, you have to have at least two consecutive choreographed moves that don't mirror each other or something like that. And then you have a case. But I kind of wanted to get your take from an actual lawyer because, you know, how Facebook groups and stuff, people go on their legal theories and none of us are lawyers. Right. So I kind of want your take on that for sure.
1: Well, yeah, at that point, you're looking really uh, almost primarily you know, music copyright law. And to be honest, I don't really practice in that area. For sure. Re- for sure. for sure. The reason being is that um, music copyright is kind of unique because it breaks down into a variety of sub-copyrights. Gotcha. So you have the mechanical copyright, you have the performance copyright, and uh, those types of areas, it gets very complex. So there's actually attorneys that tend to specialize in that field. I, I, I would definitely think that there's at least the genesis of a copyright claim. Um, because again, the performance, you know, the more, if we go back and we look at the fair use defense, right take that element out, the amount and substantiality of the portion taken. Well, if it's the entire dance, it's going to be pretty hard for somebody to argue that, you know, it's not quote unquote enough. One of the defenses that you'll see in copyright sometimes is that, um, there's not enough of a creative work and not enough of of a work for it to be considered creative effort. So think, think right. about this is gonna be a bizarre example um, but think about recipes you know recipe for okay. for okay. food a lot of time you can't copyright that because there's nothing really creative there and it's typically short you know add you know add eggs add butter whatever it is right um, but as an overall presence if you have pictures of the food uh, and you have you know a video of somebody explaining how to do you know how to actually take the recipe from point one to, to the end product, uh, that is copyrightable because that's creative. There's there's more, if you will. Right. Um, so I think if Fortnite's using just a tiny bit of the dances, you know, it's probably gonna be a difficult uh, road to hoe for, uh, you know, the people who came up with the original dances. But, you know, if it's the full dances, well, you know, then there's a little bit more merit to that claim.
0: Gotcha. Well, like I said, like th- those dances, they are really pretty much like a very singular move. So it kind of leads to what you were saying, that it's not like not much of a bigger Choreograph move so i thank you for sharing i really do appreciate that richard for sure because sure. like i said we got a lot of questions about that one for sure
1: one thing people i apologize one thing people might want to do is um just set up a google alert for the case for sure and then you'll get emails uh you know every couple months or whatever it is and you see how the court starts ruling on it it'll be interesting to see what they did
0: Absolutely. And, and I think in, uh, to add to that, Richard, thank you for sharing that. I think to add to that startup nation, this will allow you to also think about your business and anything that you may think may, you know, infringe upon your copyright or protected content or wherever the case may be. Look at this case, as something that you can learn from and see if you can use that in your business so thank you so much rich i really do appreciate that for sure hey startup nation sorry for barging in on you really quickly but i wanted to give you an update since the recording of this episode richard found the Fortnite case so fascinating that he created an entire video for it so you can check out that video on his website socalinternetlawyer.com and we've also updated the show notes for you to go directly to that video to check it out so if you was curious about the Fortnite case and you want to hear a lawyer's perspective on it, go to that link and check it out. Now, Hey, get out of here. Get back to Richard's content. Let me ask you this, man. Let's ask it. I want to ask you about your agency, you know, digital millennium copyright Act DMCA. Uh, Tell us uh, our listeners why, you know, they should be complying with DMCA. Uh,
1: So the DMCA is a federal law. It was enacted in 1998 uh, and addresses copyright online, copyright infringement situations. Uh, And the concern that Congress had at the time was, um that the court system would be overwhelmed uh by just you know a zillion different infringement claims because it's so much more easy to infringe online uh than you know when we had the traditional brick and mortar um economy and so they put this this act together and what it contains for the purposes discussions we're looking at section 512 and it it contains a safe harbor provision and it says that if a website uh, is not actively posting something, um, then it cannot be held uh, liable for copyright infringement for user-generated content. Okay. So let's say we take Facebook or you know whoever. Facebook's always the easy example. Um, somebody copies a uh, video from some site, doesn't have permission to use it, is infringing, and they post it to their Facebook page. Um, at that point, uh, under the DMCA, the person who posted it can be held liable for copyright infringement but uh, Facebook cannot so long as Facebook um, follows a certain procedure. And that procedure is basically the copyright owner would submit a complaint. It's called DMCA takedown notice. It's a simple form. You can find it online. It's not a big deal. Uh, it would submit that. Uh, and Facebook would then take down the content they would send a message to um, the person who originally posted the content saying, Hey, we received a complaint uh, for copyright infringement. And then at that point, person who's posted it can either file what's called a counter notification uh, or they can just drop it. Uh, and if they drop it and they don't reply, usually that's the end of it because the copyright owner is happy that the video is down uh, and you know, everybody just walks away. Uh, but that's the process. So as part of that process, um, when the copyright owner goes to submit their complaint to Facebook, they're going to submit it to what's called the DMCA agent. Um, and each company online business to comply has to designate an agent. So if you're an entrepreneur just starting out, you often, you can designate yourself. There doesn't have to be any particular uh, certification or anything else to be an agent. Um, But the problem is under the copyright office rules, because the copyright office didn't really think this through, um, they require you to list your real business address and your phone number and your email address. So the problem is if you're working from home. (laughs) Right, right, right. Which a lot of people
0: who create digital content do, right?
1: Right. Uh, You know, so in a worst case scenario, well, in a best case scenario, you're going to get, you know, added to spam list and to a sales call list. In a worst case scenario, a uh, quote unquote fan may show up at your door, (laughs) you know, and so, yeah, there's problems with that. So with our service, we act as your agent, basically. That's the deal. And uh, we list our information and, um, you know, we're allowed as the agent to list a PO box. And so we get around, you know, some of the problems that it provides. Uh, And it's a whopping 70 bucks a year, but that's, yeah, that's the service that we provide. Uh, But regardless, if you're allowing people to post on your, um, your website or your app uh, to upload any content, even if it's just comments, um, Mm -hmm. you should really comply with the DMCA because it's, it's immunity. You're, you're exempt from copyright infringement uh, and it's not very difficult to do. In fact, you can go onto Amazon. um, There's a book called the DMCA uh, handbook. Okay. uh, it's maybe 70 bucks which sounds like a lot but it's a lot cheaper than an attorney and um, you know you can buy the book and do it yourself uh, and gain an understanding but you're essentially copyright infringement is probably the most common legal claim that you'll see online and okay. this is giving you immunity from that uh, for anything that your users do uh, so it's definitely worth the uh, 70 bucks and startup
0: nation if you, you know if you feel like this is something that can add value to your business uh, DMCA dot is there for you in the show notes for easy access. If you feel like that's something that you need for your business as well. Also the link to that book that Richard just mentioned is also there for easy access as well. Thank you for sharing that, Richard. This is good stuff, man. I really appreciate your, uh, your time today for sure. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, real quick before we go to break, man, you know, what does your average day look like from sun up to sundown? Was uh, what does your day look like? Be as specific as possible.
1: Oh, I wake up about probably six thirty or seven, um, because my dog gets in my face, gotcha. and uh, <laughs> he is an enthusiastic fan of breakfast. Uh, and then: Thank I you all. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I'm actually a night person, so I usually uh, pound, okay. uh, gotcha. pound the snooze button four hundred or five hundred times to go back to sleep, uh, but then get up and work. You know, throughout the morning, um, work on you know, client matters, uh, whatever is involved there. And then uh, in the afternoon, I typically, you know, if there's anything pressing, I'll work on it. But then I'll usually switch to marketing or any other issues, you know, that are going on that are uh, separate from what, you know, clients need at that time. For sure. Uh, be anything, bookkeeping, whatever. Uh, and then late in the afternoon, head out, usually um, go for a walk, actually take the dog. I live up in a national forest. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we get out there and pray not to get taken down by a, lo- a mountain lion. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, you know, it's beautiful and relaxing. Uh, the legal field can be highly stressful. So, I imagine so. I imagine. Yeah, so, so, getting out and, you know, stretching the legs a little bit is always good for the, the old brain. Uh, and then the evening, I usually, uh, you know, it just kind of depends on the week, but I'm a big fan of hockey. So, I often watch okay. hockey, scream at the TV, and that's another stress reliever, uh, particularly when you're an LA Kings fan and they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the worst dead last team in the, the nhl yeah. Uh, so yeah it's been a rough year but uh other than that then hang out with uh, the various love interests of the month going on there <laughs> gotcha <laughs> fair enough so we're gonna go
0: ahead and take a quick break how you like being on the startup life so far richard enjoying it? it's great all right startup nation so i hope you're getting great value from richard's content but we gotta pay a few bills once again my name is dominic lawson and you're listening to the startup life business owner the startup life reach is growing when you like your business to grow with it reach out to us to advertise on the startup life you can reach us at 901 901- eight five seven four eight one eight or you can email me at dominic at ask dot com i mean don't get me wrong like this is a great music to have a break on but wouldn't this break sound a lot better with the same music but your business being advertised on it need more content from the startup life you say you can now sign up for the startup life all access pass on the binge podcast networks Patreon page. There is exclusive content written by yours truly, video content where I share even more of my business philosophies, and whatever crazy content I can think of out of that crazy head of mine. And at only $5 a month, yeah, $5 a month, this is more content for you, Startup Nation, to really get ahead of your competition. So instead of upsizing that meal at your favorite fast food joint, you can now invest in yourself on your path to entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to sign up. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So Richard. Uh, You know, as the founder of Uh, SoCalInternetLawyer.com, you help internet entrepreneurs be legally compliant with launching and stuff like that. So, you know, what are some legal steps a person should take when launching an online business?
1: Um, Well, you know, they're the usual ones that that people hear about, you know, form a business entity and and what have you. Um, I think some of the lesser known ones that can really um, really help you avoid problems, particularly down the line, or um, to first, you know, start out and not only have a business plan, but really think about, you know, the founders, how you're setting up this business. If you're running the business on your own, you don't really need to worry about, um, you know, any of these issues. But if you have a partner uh, or more than one partner, you need to think about um, potential worst case scenarios because once you move forward, you're essentially getting married to this person.
0: Right, they, for sure.
1: Yeah, and if they... Uh, if they don't bring, uh, you know, the effort to their side of the marriage, um, you know, you can have real problems. So we see a lot of businesses uh, in the U.S. that have what are called zombie partners. Uh, and these wow. are partners, you know, who were originally were there. Um, the business didn't grow in the manner that they thought or maybe there were disputes between the founders as to, you know, which way the business should go. Mm-hmm. And, and they stopped showing up or they 're not doing you know, what they 're supposed to do now, legally, usually you can fire them from an employment position, um, but they 're still going to have an ownership interest in the business and so how right. do you get how do you get them out well if you don 't have a, a document in writing um, you 're going to end up in court that 's really the only way to do it there 's going to be default rules and regulations uh, in your state. each state has something a little bit different, uh, and then a judge who knows nothing about your business, nothing about you know the history of what 's gone on between the founders is going to try and figure out how to divide up the business and get that person out and what they should be paid and so on and so forth. Right. And the end result is you usually spend a lot of money on attorneys and almost nobody's happy with, you know, whatever the judge comes up with. Right. Uh, so the most important aspect of that is, you know, if you're going to form a corporation, you want to sit down and do a shareholder agreement. If you're going to do a partnership, it's a partnership agreement. If it's an LLC, uh, you know, you can call it the founders agreement, whatever you call it Right. Once writing, addressing these issues. Uh, Because that way, if you get six months down the line, and one of the, uh, you know, one of the partners is uh, not showing up, well, you have a process for booting them out the door. Uh, And that's incredibly important. Because if you're moving forward, I don't care how successful the business is. Well, that's probably not true. If you're incredibly successful, you don't really care. But uh, uh, anything less than that, if you have somebody that you're dragging as an anchor, that's really going to sour you on the business. It's just the nature of it. So that's incredibly important. Um, in the online arena, another area which is you would think is common, but I see people all the time that don't have it, is insurance. Mm, uh, okay. You really want to get liability insurance. Liability insurance is important for two reasons. Um, one, it's going to pay any judgment or settlement against you. But two, it's going to pay your defense fees, uh, your attorney's oh, fees for okay. defending a claim. All right. so So a lot of people, you know, they see the legal Zoom advice form an LLC and they go form an LLC and then they get sued and the attorney says, well, you know, that's great. You're an LLC, but I'm going to need $25,000 retainer to defend this. There it is. Where are you coming up with that money? Right. So with the insurance company, they'll typically work in two ways. One, they'll either fund the attorney, but another way that they often work is they'll have pre-approved attorneys. And so they'll have somebody who's already familiar with your field. Uh, and that they've already worked out, uh, you know, payment relationship with. And so that makes life a lot easier for you uh, because you're going to be stressed out about the lawsuit anyways. Uh, (laughs) So you won't have that, you know, but the advantage of having that insurance policy there, you know, when we went back, and we were talking about, you know, doing preventive uh, legal services. Well, insurance is kind of part of that because you never know, you know, they're, they're literally a million different laws. And right now, probably everybody listening to this is violating some of them. Uh, I'm an attorney. I'm an attorney. I'm probably violating some of them. I just, you know, you just don't know. There could be some strange law in Florida or somewhere that that is out there. Uh, And Florida does have some strange laws. Um, So it's important to, you know, make sure you get liability insurance put in place. And uh, you want to have somebody look at it, either yourself or somebody else that when somebody offers you a policy, you want to actually read the policy and make sure that it covers, you know, what your risks are. Um, So you don't end up uh, standing there, you know, when you get sued with a policy that doesn't really cover, um, you know, the problem that you're facing. And that can happen sometimes. And that's obviously a real problem that a lot of people, um, you know, run into. Uh, And then with your your website or your app, um, you know, you want to have terms and a privacy policy. Uh, If you have a blog or you have something where people don't really interact, you don't always need terms. And the reason for that is because the terms often aren't going to be effective anyways. Um, Courts are saying now that they want to see uh, users, uh, people who visit websites, um, they they need to essentially check a box. You'll see this on some websites where you have to check a box saying, I agree to the terms and conditions and privacy policy. A lot of courts are saying if that doesn't happen, then your terms and privacy policy aren't binding. So they're kind of a waste. Now, some blogs, you want to have them anyways just because they have a proactive, uh, you know, prophylactic effect, if you will. Um, people will see them and think, Ooh, you know, they're bound by, uh, these documents, but, um, you know, terms and privacy policy, they're, they're dry. I realize they're dry legal documents and nobody really is interested in them, but they're there to protect you. You know, if you have an Apple product, uh, you know, you go to iTunes or whatever, you know, they make you agree to their terms every three days cause they've updated something Well, they're doing that because it protects them. And so right. this is your, your chance to protect yourself. Uh, and so you want to have these documents. Uh, with the privacy policy, you have to have privacy policy. It's required as law by a number of states. Uh, the FTC wants to see it. And even if you don't care anything about that, Google considers its presence to be a ranking factor. So if you want to get SEO rankings, you know you need a privacy policy. Now, Admittedly, it's not a huge ranking factor, but it needs to be there. Uh, and then with privacy policy, you're getting into, unfortunately, um, all kinds of complexities now because... Uh, There's World War Three is kind of underway uh, and it's online and it's in the field of privacy of all things, Mm. uh, which nobody would have ever predicted. But you're seeing different regions are requiring different things from a privacy perspective. In the U.S., we have almost no uh, privacy laws. Uh, We do for some very specific things, like if you're collecting information from kids or health records or something like that. But we don't have an overriding national privacy law. Well, other countries and other regions do. The EU uh, views privacy like we view freedom of speech. So they have very uh, explicit rules. And if you have, if you're collecting email addresses for your email list, or you're selling into the EU, even if you're offering free things, free ebook, you know, to generate your list, uh, and you have people on there from the EU. Well, you're supposed to have a legal basis for collecting their information, and that means that you often have to get manual consent from them before you collect their information. Your cookies on your site, you need to get consent to use those cookies uh, before they start collecting information. This is why you're seeing sites you go to now, you see more cookie pop-ups. Right. They're trying to comply with that. Uh, And so it's leading to all kinds of difficulties, but just understand that the privacy policies, you know, the days of a short little simple privacy policy, unfortunately, are over, um, this is just an area where you're seeing a revolution. In what what's required in various com- uh, company uh, countries? Excuse me. Uh, and then the DMCA, which we already talked about. You definitely, if you're allowing users to post anything to your site, get DC, DMCA compliant. It's cheap, and it's giving you immunity from uh, copyright infringement based on things that they upload. So why not? Uh, and then the final thing, probably that's kind of not on the the usual path, um, the reoccurring billing model. Okay. Uh, Recurring billing is, you know, one of the great things ever, Um, particularly if people will stay with you for a while. You can make a lot of money off people. Uh, What's important to understand, and a lot of this comes back to the adult industry, uh, there are many states now that require you to put out specific disclaimers uh, if you're going to employ that type of billing method. So what happened in the adult industry um, was that they would would say, well, get a three-day free trial for $1.95. Uh, and you know, you can, um, you can end your free trial at any time, but if you actually wanted to end that free trial, it was damn near impossible to find the link to do that.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Right. And That's so you would get billed 39 95 a month and, you know, and, uh, they made a lot of money. Uh, and so these laws, these state laws are designed to kind of prevent that. So at the time people sign up for your reoccurring billing, you know, whatever it is, a product or service, uh, you have to have specific disclaimers there. Uh, you have to send in the confirmation email, you know, a note saying, you know, basically here's how you, uh, you get rid of this. Uh, and, you know, there's just a lot of requirements there. Now, if you don't meet those requirements, the penalties, depending on the states, um, in California, the penalty is uh, your charges are viewed as a gift and the person who has paid that gift has a right to reclaim that gift. Mm. So <laughs> if you've got 500 people who've been paying $29.99 a month for five years well, those five five hundred people in a class action lawsuit can get all their money back. That's a painful event. I bet, uh, <laughs> I bet. For sure, for sure. And you're and you're seeing larger companies get hit with this. Dropbox and you know other groups, um, you know, they're kind of targets for this. And it isn't again that they're really acting deviously. It's just you know they're not really aware of the, the rules and the laws. Um, but you know, they're obviously becoming a little bit more aware now. Um, so if you're kind of acting irresponsible
0: in a sense, right. Because not like, you know, like making those ways to kind of get out of those contracts readily accessible for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah you know, I, would be honest, this is a law that's kind of abused.
0: Okay. Um, okay. Cause
1: I mean, if we're talking about Netflix, you know, you know how to get out of Netflix, you go to your right. account, you know? Uh, and so, but Netflix, you know, I think Netflix was sued under this, you know, in the class action, uh, and you know are we really doing justice I mean you know anybody knows how to go do that or if you don't know how you can certainly find out easily you know they're not trying to hide it they're not being like the adult sites where they've you know put the uh, the link on you know page 453 that you have to click through to you know to get to and it's the same color as the background and you know so on and so forth um, so it is abused quite a bit but you know I'd love to tell you my attorney friends are all uh, interested in justice, but quite frankly, a lot of them are interested in what we call witness green. uh, And that would be money. Uh, And so if they see these opportunities, you know, they'll certainly go after them. I mean, you see trademark trolls and copyright trolls and patent trolls and everything else. Uh, And this is certainly one of the business models that's popping up now.
0: Richard, let me go back to something really quick that you said earlier. when you talk about like that, uh, that 90 day protection for, Getting things, you know, uh, protected that you create, or whatever the case may be. Let's say I'm a blogger out there, right? And I name my blog, uh, I don't know, um, the Startup Life. Let's just call it the blog the Startup Life, right? And I've been writing this blog for like, let's say, three years. Okay. Let's say somebody comes after those three years and creates the Startup Life Store, totally different state somewhere else, and then they come and sue me for. Copyright infringement, whatever the case may be, am I protected? Am I, or I'm not a
1: protector? Uh, well, in that case, you're probably not looking at copyright. It's probably going to be more of a trademark claim.
0: Okay. Uh, Okay.
1: Yeah, and at that point, you know, with trademark, trademarks unique because it's very time oriented. Okay. Uh, And trademark, the idea is that you have so a mark is something that identifies a product or a service in commerce. The important part of that in trademark law is in commerce. Meaning it's being used, uh, and so there's a real emphasis on use. So if you use it and you use it first, then mm-hmm. typically that's your mark. Uh, gotcha. And if somebody comes along later and tries to use it, um, you know they're going to have problems. Now with trademarks, there are classes, and classes um, are basically a division of different areas of the of the commerce market. So there may be a class. Well, there actually is a class for food blogs. <laughs> okay you know, and then there's a class maybe for, let's say travel. Well, if the same phrase is used in the food blog class, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're protected in the travel class and you're probably not. Um, So let's look at an example, Amazon. Obviously we know what the Amazon store is online. Okay. Well, Amazon is, is, it's a strong trademark. When you say the word Amazon, almost immediately people associate that with that store. Does that mean that there cannot be a separate company called Amazon River Tours that take people down the Amazon in South America? No. you know in that situation it's a different class it's a different meaning and people aren't going to confuse you know they're very unlikely to confuse those two two topics uh and so if amazon tried to go after uh you know the river group for a trademark infringement they're probably going to have a difficult time so in your situation where if you have a blog that you've been you know posting on everything else and then an online store which is basically the same niche the internet niche comes on and tries to use your name then you're you're probably going to have a pretty good claim the downside of trademark uh, infringement litigation is very expensive Um, you know you're probably looking at you know five hundred thousand or a million dollars in legal fees it goes on and on and on Uh, and there are a lot of uh, specialized uh, elements there. you're going to need to use a special attorney that specializes in that field Uh, but yeah generally if you're using it first um, you know you're, you're probably going to be in a good situation now, just a caveat, because I'm sure some, inter, you know, capitalistic uh, entrepreneurs out there are thinking, <laughs> for sure, you know. go out and start buying domain names for popular <laughs> popular businesses, and this was a very popular business model in the early 2000s, uh, but now it's called cyber squatting, and it's uh, something you really don't want to do, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, depending on how old you are, you may know the business model, people would go out sure. and they would buy misspelled, you know, IBM with two Ms or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, and try and sit on these domains, and then force the companies to buy them. Um, yeah, you know, so yeah, you kind of want to avoid that now. It's not not in in, in vogue. Um, the other thing that, if you have an online business, that you may want to think about, um, there's a entrepreneur, entrepreneurial group up in Canada, a domain register, and they have somehow got approval out of ICANN um, to sell .dot sucks domains. Okay. So you may well want to go up and buy your domain dot sucks. So um, you know, <laughs> in my case, lawyer dot sucks, you know, what have you, um, because, you know, if somebody gets that domain their Their argument would be that's not trademark infringement or copyright infringement because they're criticizing you. That gotcha. the argument. Um, so, yeah, that's one you probably want to look at if you want to really protect things. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. You know,
0: Richard, you know, one of the reasons that I really wanted to bring you on the startup life is because, you know, law is something that's like, let's just be honest, it kind of goes over people's heads or some people kind of find it uh, not necessarily fun to talk about, but you do it in a very humorous and very approachable way. No, where does that come from, man? Is like, you know, do you come from like a humorous family, Are you like a stand-up comedian on the side? Where does that come from?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. Just probably my personality, to be honest. When I first started out, I tried to be the traditional attorney. Okay. Uh, you know, and it was very three-piece suit and you know what have you. But you know, once I took the sabbatical and started thinking about you know what it was that I wanted to do. kind of decided that, you know, I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, It was all kind of a facade and I still have plenty of facades, but that was one that I decided to uh, abandon and and try to be more reachable for people. Some people like it, some people don't, Um, you know, and I tell clients pretty much up front, you know, if you're expecting me to show up to meetings in 3 piece suit, it's just not going to happen gotcha Uh, you know i'm at that point in my life where i don't really need to do that i don't have business cards you know i mean it's it's just you know i'm at that point um so you know and and you know completely honest some companies are are comfortable with that some really are not
0: oh wow okay
1: you know because well because you know the formality of certain companies particularly if the companies have been around for longer right right they have certain culture and expectations, uh, you know, regarding people. So if the lawyer shows up and you know, just came from the beach, and <laughs> it, you know, it's not really tying into their culture, right? And, for sure. You know, regardless of what you're telling them, and that's fine, because to be honest, those are kind of companies I you know, typically don't know to work with. I, I hate meetings. I just hate. Gotcha. Meetings. Um, so you know, endless meetings where nobody has the authority to make the actual decision. Um, you know, I, I get what I call meeting rage and <laughs> <laughs> so I moved in a different yeah. direction, you know, and uh, you know, some people like it. Some people don't. Uh, but sure. We uh, have
0: a lot of teachers who listen to The Startup Life, so they, they probably know a thing or two about meeting rage for sure.
1: Yes, it's uh it's a, a real medical problem, I think. <laughs> Best treated with wine.
0: Understood for sure. Let me ask you this, man. I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours and why?
1: Have a superpower? What is mine? Wow, that's that is a fascinating question. Um, I think my superpower these days is the ability to focus. I hear that. You know, when you work online, even as an attorney, you know there are so many shiny objects that you can end up wasting, you know, an ungodly amount of time on. Uh, And sometimes, you know, in my case, it's because I have developed the discipline to do that. And other times it's because, you know, I've deleted all messaging services from any of my devices. Right, right. (laughs) Because I don't have that discipline. Um, But I think focus. And I think for entrepreneurs, one of the things that I see from the legal side, particularly when you start out, is, you know, it can be, the internet can be overwhelming in in a good and bad way, but there's so much information out there and there's so many different ways to approach things, whether it be marketing or whatever that, you know, you can get bogged down and actually end up doing almost nothing because, you know, you're trying 12 different things at once. Um, So, you know, focusing, really focusing, understanding what you want from your business, what your goal is, how are you gonna get there, uh, and then sticking with the plan. Um, That is incredibly important. It sounds like a basic thing, but I mean, for a lot of people, and myself included, you know, it's easy to get uh, sidetracked and, you know, next thing you know, six hours have passed, you haven't gotten anything done, and, uh, you know, yeah, that cat video is humorous. <laughs> for sure for sure any La- hey, minute
0: you know once again want to thank you for coming on the startup life powered by the binge podcast network any last nuggets of wisdom you want to share with our audience uh, richard
1: um you know i think that the one thing i would i would recommend is that if you're thinking about starting a new business um sit down with an internet lawyer for just an hour even if you have to pay him you know, a couple hundred bucks Tell them what you're doing. Now, there's something called the attorney-client privilege. Right. What that means is they can't disclose, you know, what you tell them, and they also can't use it. Um, so you're not, you, you don't need non-disclosures. You're not giving anything Understood. away. But you want to talk to them, tell them exactly what you're doing, so they can look at it and they can say, okay, yeah, that looks great, or they can say, hmm, you know, there's a law in this area that you need to be aware of, gotcha, uh, and a potential risk. Just so you know what that risk is. So let me give you an example, of kind of how that works out. The guys that started Uber. You know, if they sat down with somebody, somebody would have told them, you know, you're going to have a problem with the drivers um, because the drivers, you want to classify them as independent contractors. But some of those drivers are eventually going to want to be classified as employees. And that radically changes the bottom line for Uber because you have employment taxes and things of that sort. And so they would have then had the ability to say, okay, well, here's the risk. Do we go ahead anyways or not? They're making an informed decision and obviously it's worked out for them. Um, the thing you really want to avoid is where you just don't know there's an issue and you go firing off, and <laughs> it, you know, and then suddenly you know the attorney general's on the phone. And oh. That's you know that's where you don't want to be. So Absolutely. sitting down and, and making sure that you talk to somebody, um, you know, a lot of it, internet lawyers will give you a free hour, a free half hour, um, you know, just to give you an, an introduction and at least look at things, uh, just to make sure that there isn't anything um, that you're going to run into problems with because you know the early 2000s it was the wild wild web unfortunately right now we're kind of in the empire strikes back period of the internet absolutely yeah they're coming out for everything and they're coming fast uh and so you want to make sure that you're on top of that and that there's anything in your business model that's going to get you in trouble for sure once again richard thank you for coming on the show did you enjoy it man absolutely thank
0: you for having me on righty. all right Startup nation so here's my final take there are entrepreneurs who are just like some of those amazing approachable people that you'll ever come across. Richard is one of those people. Like, you know, when he talks about how he doesn't like to, he hates meetings, he gets meeting rage and stuff like that. Uh, or he likes to kind of show up not necessarily in the full suited and booted suit and tie But kind of like something that makes him more relaxed Those are the type of people that have personalities that are super approachable They're very laid-back and they honestly just want to help I think the amazing thing about Richard and maybe it's because he's an attorney But I love the way how he stays abreast of current situation and current law so that way he can proactively help his client base and his customers startup nation that is how you anticipate needs before your customers even know that they even needed them if you want to let us know what you think about the show have an idea for a show topic or like to advertise on our show please send us a message on the startup life podcast facebook page and while you are there like and follow our page as well it's a way for us to engage with you startup nation and really grow our community the link is here in the show notes subscribe to the show as can now be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite platform to get your podcast on. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a 5-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Startup Life All Access Pass to get exclusive content. This is exclusively on the Bench Podcast Network's Patreon page. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life the startup life.